today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. A Canadian man has lost his life in Burkina Faso. Uh, to talk more about this situation, what do we know? David Harris is with us in Cygnus Strategic Group. He is a terrorism expert and with us now. David, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hey, a pleasure, Scott. Your thoughts on this uh, kidnapping and in what has resulted? Uh, what separates this from other situations like this in this part of the world? Well, of course, it's a bit hard to know because we're limited in some of the information available to us. Uh, as you know, Burkina Faso is just north of the Gold Coast, as it uh, was traditionally known, immediately north of Ghana, and in a pretty troubled part of the world, uh, surrounded by places like Niger and Mali, which have had their Islamist difficulties and are now experiencing jihadism to a considerable degree. Uh, this means that anyone, including foreigners in the area, have to take into serious account the risk to life and limb of their being there. There are well-established uh, kidnapping threats, and not merely by jihadists either, but uh, these have existed in December. I think we uh, last were aware of uh, a couple who, um, uh, I think one Canadian, the other Italian, uh, who were taken. We haven't heard anything of them since then, and there have been similar developments in the area. So again, it's a stern and stiff reminder to all of us to really contemplate thoroughly before we go to certain areas of the world. My goodness, uh, this nothing new here, but then things like China. Why is this heating up, or is it just coincidental? Uh, oh, I see. You mean it's With other yeah. world events. Yes, yes. Well, uh, let's face it. Uh, traditionally, our, uh, our race, the human race, has uh, made pretty thoroughgoing and effective use of hostage-taking, uh, often as a kind of addendum or complement to uh, military, to economic, and other issues. We're, in Canada, really quite far removed from this ongoing reality. But uh, as we've seen in the way China has uh, conducted itself, these things continue as almost ordinary matter-of-course approaches to not simply resolution of issues, that makes it sound too clinical and frankly polite, but uh, to extorting and blackmailing, using uh, terror and so on, to uh, get the benefits that some regimes, some individuals may be looking for. And as we know, the whole China episode comes in the context of questions about the Huawei uh, high-technology giant, uh, essentially based in China, and understood to uh, have some connection to uh, former military people in the uh, uh, People's Liberation Army, the Chinese military, with uh, obvious and derivative concerns that have grown more serious, really, by the day, that the company could be something of an extended arm of the Chinese military, Chinese espionage, with a particular view to mastering through stealth and possible theft Western technology, uh, which can then be put to the advantage of Huawei, but uh, also of other uh, technologically oriented Chinese interests. So, <clears throat> excuse me, this is uh, a grave situation. I think the wonder to many is that it's taken so, so many years for this to have now blossomed into a kind of full fledged crisis. Hmm. Uh, many people, for 15 years at least, 
have uh, thought that we should have been uh, galvanized about the nature of this problem because there's nothing uh, novel in it. And even if one were to accept the uh, really quite comprehensive uh, Huawei denials that they're in any way involved with the Chinese regime, the simple fact is that any company that has substantial assets in China, that has uh, human, including family, connections back into China, may be at the mercy, uh, if not now, at any time in the future, to the totalitarian uh, pressures and preferences of the Beijing Politburo, in other words, the dictatorship. Uh, getting back to Burkina Faso, what do we know about the disappearance of Kirk Woodman? Was this ransom-driven? Was there any any uh, request made for ransom? Uh, I'm not aware of anything very specific on this. It seems that he, uh, who was originally, of course, from Halifax, uh, and was abducted, uh, I think, on Tuesday night. A dozen gunmen were said to have been involved. He was there uh, as part of a, a mining enterprise. He was, I think, a mining engineer. And uh, perhaps to him, this was a fairly standard business type of proposition. Uh, he was taken. I'm not aware of uh, any kind of um, uh, ransom demand. But who knows, in these sorts of situations... The intention might have been such on the part of those who would have had abducted him, but then something might have gone wrong, logistically or otherwise, right. uh, maybe even accidentally, and he might have been killed. On the other hand, if it were uh, uh, certain kinds of Islamists, then I suppose uh, the killing, excuse me, <coughs> the killing of a Westerner. <coughs> Pardon me. The killing of a Westerner might in and of itself have seemed like a desirable outcome. So it's, uh, it's, it's all very confusing. And the basic message is there for all of us. Uh, you know, you're killed just as dead, whether it's the hmm. result of uh, a kidnapping for ransom or uh, targeted killing. Uh, so really, at this point, there's nothing that we can learn from the fact that there was or wasn't a ransom uh, award uh, uh, requested. Uh, and this could have all gone awry before that we, they even got to that point. Well, if um, the forensics, uh, speaking loosely here, are such as to indicate uh, that there was uh, an intention to ransom this individual, then um, one could uh, perhaps reinforce training of those who might find themselves in such areas in order to deal with uh, a kidnapping situation, you know, in order to, first of all, try to avoid that, and, uh, of course, secondly, try to manage it in a way that will bring things to a reasonable uh, and safe resolution. But um, the larger question, as I said at the beginning, <clears throat> is, uh, excuse my cold, the larger question is, um, should someone be in that location? Hmm. Is it justifiable given what we know of the risks? And the risks in that area would have seemed to have been notorious. Uh, was it? Is it worth it? Was it worth it? The other kind of issue is that if you are at risk of getting yourself into a mess, and we've seen this in certain other countries, particularly in the Middle Eastern areas and, uh, of course, Afghanistan and so on, then one might want to contemplate what one could, if things go bad, wind up bringing down upon innocent third parties, uh, one's own family and the agonies that uh, can mm. be inflicted on them, including financial ruination if they, one way or another, 
called upon to provide some kind of financial support. But there's also another thing. Uh, there's one case of which I'm aware, um, and uh, this was not in Africa, so far as I recall, where there were troops, I think local troops, who were sent in to attempt to rescue an individual who had been taken. Um, some of those troops were killed. Mm. Uh, was this necessary? I mean, was you know, was it appropriate that one might have got oneself into a reasonably foreseeable hostage situation that would, again, reasonably foreseeably have called upon uh, security people from the country to try to rescue them at great risk to their own lives. Those people had had nothing to do with the decision, possibly a highly questionable decision, to take a risk to find themselves in these countries uh, or these regions and areas. So there's a heck of an interesting moral and ethical uh, obligation, possibly a legal one, on individuals who might again embrace for themselves certain risks, but risks that would then uh, implicate other innocent parties in their own risk. Over a million dollars has been paid uh, to militant groups uh, since 2003 in exchange for kidnapped uh, uh, victims. Um, why don't we, Canada, pay ransoms like this? Uh, well, not that there was one offered here, but did, would that have played anything, would that played into this in any way, uh, finding out they're Canadians and perhaps ransom wouldn't be paid? Uh, it's it's uh, always possible, but the claim that Canada doesn't pay ransom is a thing that looks at times like more of a legal nicety than a substantive reality, mm. because... Uh, There have been indications in the past that there have been ways in which, uh, say, local governments uh, might find money or resources to satisfy kidnappers, and that there may be an understanding that a country like Canada would somehow make it up to that local government eventually through uh, favors, assistance, maybe uh, direct resources. So one way or another, whoever does it, um, when you get involved in uh, providing money to kidnappers, you are doing anything but deterring uh, future repetitions of this kind of thing. In fact, let's be blunt, you're creating in general more business uh, options for uh, actual and potential kidnappers. I mean, this is how these things turn into major industries. And to the extent that you might be dealing with people who themselves are connected to terrorist groups, you are funding terrorism. So yet again, another consideration for those who might be uh, thinking about going to areas that wouldn't necessarily be safe. Uh, Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland says Canada is working to bring those responsible to justice. Will that happen? Hard to know what all of that uh, can mean in real terms, uh, perhaps through intelligence assistance, but there you have the question do we have the capacity in a meaningful way to uh, help track down these individuals? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But uh, again, the uh, I suppose message is that it should be at the front end that we uh, ensure that we keep ourselves out of these situations in the first place. But yes, I mean, to the extent that Canada may, through its relations possibly with other countries like the United States, and isn't it interesting the extent to which we as uh, allied governments tend to think automatically of the U.S. as though we have a right to their 
tax-paid services and the risks that some of their uh, special forces and other operators would be inclined to assume in these situations. Um, but there it is in any event. Uh, we uh, maintain our relations with uh, our allies in order at some point to have that kind of option to work on. How effective it would necessarily be if you're in uh, great untamed and chaotic areas uh, is another matter. Uh, with what has happened to uh, uh, Kirk Woodman, does this put more pressure on Canada to try to save Robert Schillenberg? Well, um, it, it's so difficult and dicey because, uh, of course, I think most people should realize by now uh, certainly uh, the Department of uh, Foreign Affairs, as I'll loosely call it, Global Affairs in Canada, for, uh, I mean, decades, a generation at least, has been warning that when you go to another country, you are bodily, I mean, you're handling, handing yourself bodily over to the traditions, predilections, and inclinations of the receiving government. So when you go on a, a tourist uh, trip to the most benign of countries uh, or visit some other country, or whether you wind up in a totalitarian country like China or near totalitarian like uh, Russia, you're accepting the laws and the jurisdiction and the arbitrariness, the caprice, the prejudice, and so on that comes with that legal package. And when, as in China, you're dealing with a, a regime that practices nothing that we would recognize as the rule of law, uh, when its courts are a part of the government, and that's a crucial thing for people to bear in mind, then you really are existing. And uh, I'm not just saying living. You are existing on sufferance as long as that government uh, for its own reasons and calculations, doesn't feel like heaving you into a jail or shooting you, then you may be able to move along quite nicely and have a pleasant mm. go of it. It's but amazing it's how our opinion has changed even in the last couple of weeks on this. Um, you know, like some will say, especially within regard to the Chinese and Huawei thing, and, you know, there's no proof that uh, the Chinese government has actually made any changes or made Huawei do one thing or another. And it's like, well, is that the point or is the point that they can at any time? Mm -hmm. And we've seen that uh, arbitrary justice with, with, with Schellenberg, who had al already been tried, was serving his sentence and then plucked out of jail and retried and then sentenced to death. I mean, you know, there's no proof that they have done this. Does not Are people forgetting that they have every right to do it? Well, uh, you know, just consider when, when you think about going to China, uh, including for business purposes, uh, this is a regime that has overseen uh, organ harvesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, taking political prisoners and extracting their organs for commercial purposes. And political prisoners who may not, have been dead at the time these extractions were made. Um, I, I would sort of just invite people of goodwill to reflect for a nanosecond <laughs> on what this might suggest to you about your possible quality of life if, again, for whatever reason, uh, caprice, some local crony of uh, a local uh, political uh, heavyweight decides in some prejudicial way against your continuing existence as such. I mean, th this is one of the reasons why 
we had so many people fighting world wars against analogous entities because we didn't want to come under sway of such possibilities. And here we are having to get a lesson yet again in the fundamental reality. So it's, um, it, it's very useful in some ways because I guess we have been so coddled, as challenging at times as perhaps some of our lives have been in Canada. We are alien to the entire mindset and reality of this. Uh, again, Supreme Court uh, entities, you've got bodies with the names of courts, and we just loosely and sloppily assume that these have the same duties, rights, prerogatives, and so on, as our own Supreme Court and other courts have. And if, that's nothing to do with the reality in uh, some countries. What do you think, what more can Canada do in regard to saving the life of Robert Schellenberg if things keep going the way they are, um, and assuming he he is killed, where do we go from here? Will this keep happening until the CFO situation with Huawei, she's either released or or somehow it, it moves forward? Well, I think that this is where we have to really pull back and remember that Mr. Schellenberg's well-being and life are the responsibility of the Chinese uh, party state the, of China. So, in effect, there is virtually nothing we can do other than highlight this internationally and in part as a warning in the terms that will mean something or may mean something to China, economic terms and other terms. I mean, this is the stiffest warning imaginable for people contemplating business in China. We've already seen that, you know, if you're doing business in China, your assets can disappear in a trice. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people, in fairness, have got their greed to thank for the plight they may find themselves mm. in. I'm not talking about Schellenberg here, because part of the problem, too, is that we don't even know, given the nature of the Chinese system, whether Schellenberg could reliably be considered guilty of the offenses that have been claimed to have been his. Mm. We, we just don't know, because that's what happens when a system's unreliable, and it's a it's a, a lesson for us, too, in maintaining at all costs the integrity of our own legal system. But in terms of his fate and all the rest, this is now completely on China. And they can demonstrate what they're about and with the threat that they represent to the world at a time when you'd be expecting they'd be on best behavior, mm. given concerns about their imperialistic uh, approaches, their militarism, and so on in the uh, broader uh, re- Asian region. Uh, one last question. China says nobody's paying attention to any of this, the, any that's coming out of the, the mouths of, of Canadian officials, that we have no allies here. This is doing no damage to China. Your thoughts on them saying that? Uh, well, of course, they'll go on that way. And remember, too, that one of the big things they're about here is, uh, I think there's a, an old Chinese adage uh, to the effect of kill one and scare a hundred or kill one, scare a thousand. Uh, the idea now that we have been Canada has been turned into a kind of laboratory in uh, the hands of, uh, of the uh, Chinese regime. They are trying to send a lesson to uh, similarly placed middle powers and other countries of what they are willing to do in order to make their writ run across the world. So you inconvenience China now, the new China, the growing powerful China, 
And this is what's going to start popping up. And uh, so I think all the more reason why we've got to try to get allies and others together and uh, not give in to anything that looks unreasonable, because this will just be the starting point of further things to come. Uh, we also have to perhaps start looking at uh, visas that are being extended to China and Chinese people. We have a serious uh, espionage problem here, thanks to uh, China, uh, which is very aggressively active here, including in trying to penetrate the existing immigrant and other Chinese communities. There have been many complaints from many people in the Chinese community uh, in Canada about this kind of thing. Uh, we have a sovereignty issue here. Either we um, bend over for Chinese aggressive actions and lose our sovereignty. We literally export our sovereignty to uh, the Politburo uh, governing table in China, or we take the lumps that uh, unfortunately and tragically we may have to take, but at least have that minimum uh, reassurance as to uh, uh, our ability to master ourselves as a country with uh, its own self-determination. And this is where China now has a serious interest uh, in making an example of us and breaking us with regard to hmm. some of these decisive questions. David Harris has been with us in Cygnus Strategic Group. He is a terrorism expert. David, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Facebook is bringing in stricter rules when it comes to ads in the next few months in countries that are facing elections. Are we going to see it here? What does that mean? What can they do? Let's bring in Derek Sardo, President Rolling Thunder. Thunder.ca is with us now. Derek, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Anytime, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. You? Wonderful. So, obviously, Facebook's been feeling some heat uh, over this. Is this just in their best interest to make it sound like they're that they are, are doing everything they can to stop people from influencing elections? Well, I think it's more than just sounding like they're doing something. They're actually doing something. Um, with their new set of tools, they refer to them as the ad transparency tools. And 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 it's, uh, Facebook is only one company, of course. They have so so many social media outlets that. Um, that everybody has to be aware of, but, but at least they're taking a stance and they're going to uh, to use these tools. And really what these tools are going to do is um, indicate where the uh, ad is coming from. So if uh, especially in the political scene, um, one of the things they're first doing, in, in Alberta right now, for instance, they are blocking any advertisements um, being bought outside the country. Um, so they're saying, you know, if if, a, if an ad campaign wants to run from Russia or wants to run from China, uh, they're they're going to block that. They're not going to let that happen. And then after after a while, uh, I think we're going to see it around June or July of this year. They're going to have tools that actually show um, the advertisement and where it's coming from and and what's the source and who's paying for it. Uh, so that's a, that's a great thing for a consumer so that we can uh, trust this media. Uh, how effective will this be? Are there ways around it through third parties, fourth parties, that sort of thing? Well, uh, let's take the example of, uh, of MSN or Google. 
and you you know when you go to their homepage, sometimes you see a lot of news. And then I'll just take MSN because I'm familiar with it a lot. Um, it says on the bottom, it says advertisement. So you know that it's not a it's not a uh, a story. Uh, it is a is an advert. And so, is it going to work? I think it will work, but everybody needs to band together to to create this. Um, now, having said I that, guess you know, uh, I mean, you know, this is an advertisement. How big would that be? Would it be as intrusive as you know a rotted lung on a package of cigarettes, or is it going to be down in the corner? I mean, is the average person who's you know the weekend warrior and drilling through Facebook are they, are they going to see this? Is, will it be that significant? So we, we haven't seen that tool yet because that's not in, in place in Canada. It it it, uh, it, it will be, and uh, hopefully it will be something that, that pops out at you and, and shows you. Uh, and people will start to understand, should I trust this and where does it come from? Um, you, you know, in India, for instance, what they're doing right now, uh, what Facebook's doing is um, they're doing that same geographic block, so they're not allowing... Uh, other people to influence the elections from outside campaigns. And it's right down to even if the, an individual of the government is is going to put that ad in, they have to match the government ID in order to, 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 uh, to purchase that um, ad. So there's other blocks and, che- and, and balances in check as well. So does that mean uh, that's it? Russia will be out? China will be out? Well, uh, again, you know, um, here's what what I say. Malicious things like that always find a way around it, right? So, um, you know, if they're they're not using uh, an ad campaign, they they may do it organically through a team of people or individuals. But, again, um, IT is crazy. I mean, I I can make it seem like I'm in Russia, right? Do you, you know what a proxy server is? Mm-hmm. Uh, server that's well, off-site, no? Yeah, that's exactly what a proxy server is. So it becomes tough to police. So, um, and, and, and I use a proxy server not to, uh, not to uh, make political campaigns, but when I'm down in Florida, for instance, and I want to watch the Leafs, I use a proxy server that's in Toronto. Um, so I've really tricked my laptop into believing that I'm um, coming from uh, I'm coming from the uh, that IP address, which would be Toronto. So it allows things like um, CBC.ca to to flow and Sportsnet to flow, which would traditionally wouldn't. So it's tough to police. Uh, I'll be I'll be frank, but um, at least Facebook is taking the steps to to make things better. Uh- how important is it for Facebook to install these features for their own public relations? They've been called to the mat a few times in the last little while. How important a move is this for them? Well, they're not doing too well in in terms of their um, public appearance because, uh, of course, they've had data breaches, uh, and 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 of course, they need to come back by saying, "Hey, you know what? We're going to be safe. We care about you. We're going to put these tools in place." Um, and and again, I would hope that uh, the average consumer would would sort of know where their news source is coming from, uh, and and not believe everything that you read on Facebook, and and to find out where that source is. And that's going to be very helpful when Facebook put these news tools in. Apparently, you'll be able to see exactly geographically where this campaign was was originated, and and of course uh, who did it and who's paying for it. 
that's a great thing. That, that, that really is a that, it really is a great thing because um, uh, before we don't have that. We can just uh, just see that as news, and and potentially it's not news, but an advert. So, do you think, Derek, that people who use social media are smart enough to figure this all out, or at the end <laughs> of the day, are they just going to read the things that are directed to them that they like anyway? Hey, we've had this conversation. Uh, not everybody is uh, is as smart as we'd like them to be, um, or or aware or or care. So, uh, you know, my message to everybody is is do take that time to care. But you're right. You know, people are flipping through screens and they're using their fingers on their phones and they're just going quickly. Uh, are they going to take the time? I hope that they do start to take the time and say, what is the source of this news? Uh, we're, of course, experiencing a Canadian election here in the fall in November. Will these uh, things be in place for that? Yes. Uh, in Canada, we expect to have it by the end of June. So, yes, they would. Now, I'll take another stance. I'll take the opposite side here and, and, and talk to Facebook. Facebook is putting you know, millions of dollars into this uh, technology. They, you know, it's not an easy thing to just do. Yeah. And they do it geographically all over the world. So every country is different, and every country has different time frames for their elections. Um, so the, the, the financial hit that, Mike, uh, that, uh, that, that Facebook is taking is pretty significant. So I applaud them for that because, you know, um, they're, they're there in the advertising game. If somebody wants to uh, buy a big campaign, uh, they're losing the dollars by saying no. You can't. You can't advertise here. So, will the average Facebook user, social media user, see a difference in what they see on screen? You said the visible. This is an advertisement. It, it, will, will we see anything other than that that that, that uh, points this out? Where will our experience be any different? We'll have to wait till June to see that because uh, I haven't seen that yet. But apparently, they're going to make it very vivid so that we know that this is an ad or this is a news story. Derek Sardo has been with us, president of Rolling Thunder, thunder.ca, to find out more. Facebook bringing in stricter rules around ads in the months leading up to an election. Derek, thanks for the time and insight. Appreciate it. Anytime, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's bring in Michael Trogott, Professor Emeritus of Communication Studies, Political Science, University of Michigan. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good to be here, Scott. Uh, Well, Michael, is Rudy Giuliani helping Donald Trump, or is he just creating more confusion? These uh, videotape archives are a terrible thing, aren't they? (laughs) They seem to be. They'll come back and bite you, won't they? Uh, I think that the the confusion continual issue with the Trump administration and people who speak for Donald Trump is whether we're supposed to deal with the confusion at hand uh, on its own feet, on its own standing, or whether this is a diversionary tactic that's related to something that they think is about to happen, but which we don't know about yet. Uh, as you said, uh, video archives uh, can be a terrible thing. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, he would appear to be a smart guy. Does he not know this, or is he just getting caught with his pants down on TV? Well, that, that I mean, that's the interesting real question here, whether he did this on purpose uh, because he wanted to divert attention from something else uh, or whether uh, for whatever reason, he he got confused 
and uh, tried to work his way by somebody like, uh, you know, Chris Cuomo uh, during the interview. I don't know. Uh, does What does this, uh, again, I'm going to ask a question which I guess we already know the answer to. Uh, does it depend on who you ask how people respond to this? Well, uh, I mean, uh, 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 at one level, this is just plain confusing. And uh, it sets up the Trump administration or the representatives of Donald Trump uh, as people who, you know, deliberately uh, tell lies because it's so easy to fact check their statements. Um, But uh, there is some speculation that uh, the walls are closing in on collusion that was really the topic of uh, the interview or yeah. that part of the interview yeah. that the walls are closing in on collusion and they feel as though they're really seriously at risk. So is what Rudy Giuliani says, I mean, um, many may look at this as splitting hairs, even though we have video proof that this was all said. Uh, I didn't say that the president was colluding. I said the president wasn't colluding. I didn't say everybody else in the campaign may not be uh, colluding. Is, Is Rudy Giuliani a problem for the White House or is he put out there to try to distract? Well, I would tend to lean towards the latter. Because in terms of the uh, really? you know, videotape archives, mm-hmm. uh, there are innumerable occasions on which the president himself said the same thing. So it's not just a matter of uh, confusion on Rudy Giuliani's part. That's what makes me think it might be deliberate. Uh, so another fire for the White House to put out the next day? Is that what this is? How, how, do they, how do they respond to this? Well, um, I thought that the president had uh, made a statement, uh, or they sent uh, Giuliani out again this morning to try to clarify this. Uh, but the real test will be whether or not the president tweets and uses the terms witch hunt or no collusion again. Uh, you know whether he whether he's going to back up Giuliani or he's just going to try to remain quiet. Uh, nothing has been said so far. What does that say? Well, uh, I think that it's an example of you know discretion is the better part of valor. They they need this conversation to to die down as quickly as possible. So if the president doesn't contribute to extending it, that would be seen as a good thing. Is it better to remove Rudy Giuliani? Is he more of a hindrance than an asset at this point? Well, I think I think that's a tough call in the sense that um, the Trump administration has this problem with personnel periodically. Uh, you know, there's a version of this with Jim Mattis, right, who, who reached... It's not exactly the same, but he reached a kind of a breaking point, and he sent this letter, and the president decided to get rid of him, uh, you know, a month or so early, six weeks early, so he would get out of the public eye. Uh, I don't know whether they could 
removed Giuliani from his, uh, you know, sort of formal function as a representative of the president and still not have him uh, interviewed. That's what would have my next, other, that's, that's my next point. Should they just keep him off of CNN? Uh, well, it's not so much, I mean, in this case it was CNN. He could have done the same thing on uh, mm-hmm. Fox News, although it might not have been uh, as an extended conversation as he had with Como, but you know, they may also be concerned about... One of the things in the background is the uh, announcement that Michael Cohen is going to testify before Congress, and apparently he has a prepared statement that some people have been given access to. So they, they may be trying to distract from a news focus on Cohen's testimony. All right, uh, moving on to the State of the Union address, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi urging the president to delay it, uh, perhaps even doing it in writing. She used the shutdown as a reason. Is that just drawing attention to this, or is that a valid reason to alter the State of the Union? Well, we knew, or we have known for some time, that uh, uh, Donald Trump is a political novice. He's not very experienced either in governance or in uh, political gamesmanship. We can we can see that in the shutdown, and now he's dealing with the real pro, Nancy Pelosi. And I think she's just trying to stick it to him by taking away uh, a prime time address on television. Hmm. Uh, is it taking it away or just delaying it and drawing more attention to the shutdown? Well, uh, it depends. You know, the the scheduled date is the is the twenty ninth, which is uh, you know twelve days from now. This would be a commentary on what people expect to be the length of the shutdown. Hmm. Is that put, uh, is this putting is this Pelosi putting pressure on Trump, saying, "Well, we might as well cancel this. That's uh, so many weeks away, and it doesn't look like we're any closer to it." Does that put pressure on him to get something done before that date? Oh, I think that's part of the intent. I think that she's operating on the assumption that he wants the television airtime and that he's not going to get it if uh, uh, if the shutdown is uh, you know still live on the 29th. So will the shutdown actually affect the State of the Union? How does that alter the State of the Union address? What's the concern? Well, the president technically is invited by the Congress, by the House, to address them on the state of the union, how things are going. So she hasn't rescinded the uh, informational aspect of the state of the union. That's what she means, I think, when she says he could do it in writing or he could do it from the uh, Oval Office. But they're not going to have all of the members of the House and the Senate assembled uh, in the the, uh, House side of the Capitol to listen to him. The ceremony will be, you know, the ceremonial part of the presentation will be taken away. Right. How does Donald Trump handle this State of the Union address, especially after his first appearance wasn't that long ago in regard to the shutdown? Is this just the same one part two? Well, it's potentially more substantive because he would have a longer time to speak. Right. I think the, I think the speeches are typically 45 minutes to an hour, but he has more serious problems 
and then the shutdown. He he likes to talk about the state of the economy, which is uh, problematical right now, both in stock market terms and also in, in terms of the impact of the shutdown on economic growth. He has these issues with uh, uh, Syria and uh, Afghanistan and this recent uh, ISIS attack. It's it's not as much of a rosy picture as uh, he had in his first State of the Union address. Uh, any sign in regard to the shutdown? Where are we with that? Is there any sign that one side is gaining momentum over the other in the court of public opinion? Well, it depends how you look at it. If, if you think about the court of uh, public opinion, um, it's pretty clear the Democrats have the upper hand in the sense that they're blaming, uh, surveys show that the public is blaming the president and the congressional Republicans for the, for the shutdown. So um, I don't think that the president, the White House, is doing very well by the shutdown in, in terms of public opinion. How uh, how does he get through this shutdown and present it as a win? Other than getting the wall built, uh, he he had an option, which I think is now gone by, which was to declare the national emergency, to have the uh, action mitigated, and have the court said. Have the courts uh, say, "Oh no, you can't do that." Why is it too late for Why is it too late for that option? Uh, Because he said too many times in the last week that he's not going to do it. Mm. So, I think it would be perceived as a sign of weakness if he turned to that as a last resort. So, uh, moving forward, how does he position this as a win? Well, I think he's, I think he's, uh, I guess what I'm saying is I think he's essentially lost the ability to do that. It's Uh, it's really now become a question of how much of a loss will it be for him. What about going back to that original agreement that the Democrats and the Republicans uh, agreed on, but he turned down after getting some negative feedback from, from the people on Fox? Can he go back and revisit that as an out and maybe make a couple of, of amendments to it and make it sound like it's better than what it is? Well, in theory, Scott, he could do that, except that he's made it clear in subsequent negotiating sessions that he he doesn't want to do that. I mean, he's he's painted himself into such a corner that to say now, uh, well, I I have a different view of the pain and suffering that this is causing. I think we better come to some resolution. So I'm going to back down, or I'm going to give a lot. I think that's too hard for him to do. Does Donald Trump really ever paint himself into a corner, or does he just get up and walk across the wet paint and and repaint the floor something else? Well, if it were it up to him, doesn't seem it doesn't seem would, to matter to him. It, if it were up to him alone, I think that would be uh, an option that he would pursue. But now he's dealing with Chuck Schumer and especially Nancy Pelosi, and so it's not going to be as easy to adopt that particular strategy as as it has been in some other instances in the past. 
How does Donald Trump handle his next State of the Union uh, address, uh, especially after his his last appearance? This is obviously not his best platform. Uh, instead of a few minutes up there, it's going to be up to 45 or in and around that area. Um, how, how will he do better with those? Well, as I said, I, th- I think this is going to be difficult for him because he... His preferred style is to laud his accomplishments or the accomplishments of his administration. And he's actually taken uh, uh, quite a beating in a number of important areas. The the, uh, intent to alter the questionnaire for the U.S. Census in 2020, the inability to deal with the shutdown, uh, the problem of the ISIS attack in Syria, um, you know, he's, he's had a, a run of uh, unfortunate circumstances that would affect his speech. Uh, talking about that attack in Syria, which just happened uh, in the last uh, day or two and, and took the lives of, of four Americans, uh, this has been accredited to ISIS. He has said ISIS is dead. How does that fly? Well, uh the problem which he doesn't acknowledge or doesn't seem to understand is that ISIS is not a a national entity. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't reside in any particular place. It doesn't have national boundaries. It's not territorial. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a movement. And, uh, there are people who are inclined to support the ideology of ISIS and to take actions. They think, that ISIS would support, even if ISIS didn't organize the team that took the action. So that's the main reason why it was inappropriate to say that ISIS had been defeated. Uh, How does that play out moving forward when it seems the only one that's happy about this is Vladimir Putin? Well, this is a recurring issue for for Donald Trump, isn't it, about how many things he does or says seem to uh, validate the interests of Vladimir Putin and often seem contrary to the interests of the United States. Uh, We're going to learn more about this uh, explicitly when the Mueller report comes out, because this is clearly an area in which uh, Mueller is concentrating his attention. Any more word on when that will happen? When will this come to an end? When will we finally see that report? And wh- and will the American people see it? Will the world see it? Well, on the, on the latter question, uh, I'm pretty confident we'll see a version of it. The, the testimony of Barr with regard to his appointment as Attorney General uh, suggests he might hold some parts of it in reserve, but I but I have a strong suspicion that if Congress gets a version of it, you know, somebody or some group in Congress will ensure that it becomes public. The thing that's confusing about the, the, the Mueller activity is uh, there are some parts which he seems to be wrapping up, but the latest revelations in conjunction with the Manafort filing that was not appropriately redacted is that he knows a lot about contacts of various members of the campaign with Russia 
and he is following leads that could go on for a while. Hmm. So I don't think that the the collusion part of the story is near-ending. Michael Trogott has been with us, Professor Emeritus of Communication Studies and Political Science, University of Michigan. As always, Michael, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good to chat, Scott. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.